good morning. It's good to see you guys. A uh, couple uh, quick announcements about the morning. Uh, number one, uh, we've got uh, this Jonah book. We're going to be selling it right outside. So I want to encourage you to go grab it. It's got a couple of these really special features, the historical, cultural background elements in it, the questions that are specifically written for each chapter. So hey, buy it for a friend. Buy it for somebody and say, hey, how about exploring God's mercy and compassion for the world with me as we study the book of Jonah. That's a great pitch for you to use and get somebody into God's word with you this series. All right, I can't wait to dive into Jonah with you. One of my favorite Old Testament books. Number two, um, do I got some men in the house? Any guys in the room? Come on, what's up dudes? Yeah, I see you, Kev. All right, I see you guys. Uh, September 11th, Monday night, 8 to 9 p.m. I want to just gather with just you guys um, and talk to you about what God's doing with the men in our church. I have a special, special message just for you. 8 to 9 p.m., so after you put the kids down or whatever you do at night, for one hour in the chapel, we're going to pray together, pray for each other, and I have a message for you that I want to share. So please join me on Monday, September 11th. And with that, how about we stand for the reading of God's word? Now, last week I wasn't here. I was at the marriage getaway teaching with my wife. We had a blast. And, uh, but I heard you guys brought the heat on the forever. I was very proud of you. All right, so I expect nothing less today. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He refreshes my soul. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely your goodness and love. Mm. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I love the enthusiasm. You guys, make somebody glad they came to church this morning. Turn, greet, welcome, say hi, make a friend. I had uh, been preaching here at this church for a few years before I was actually going to church here, Mark just invited me to uh, come and teach. And there came a point where it just made more sense for my wife and I to go to church here. And so we started attending. That first week and we showed up just to sit out in the congregation was when we moved into this building. I was sitting right over here on this side of the room. And uh, mid-stride, Mark just locks in on me and just freezes. You know, Mark Foreman, the former lead pastor, he's like, Ryan, Stacy, what's up? I see you guys. Calls me out of the crowd and just welcomes me. Man, now for some of you, that would give you a heart attack. And you're like, no, thank you. So I won't do that to you this morning. But it really made me feel seen. It was like a way of just making me feel like, yeah, this is my home. I'm known here. When has someone made you feel welcome? invited? When has someone made you feel like you belong? Who is someone in your life that has hosted you or you just sense has that gift of hospitality? Like when you walk in their home, they just make you feel like you are part of the family. When has someone made you feel welcome, a part of the crew, or has have a gift of hospitality? Go around and just share real quick with someone you're with an example 
Maybe it was something here. Maybe it's someone you know personally, like in your life that's a great hostess or hostess. Share an example really quick with each other. Well, I hope you feel that way here. And if you're new to this church, then whoever invited you owes you a cup of coffee free in the cafe. Come on. This idea of hospitality is a really pervasive and profound theme in the Bible. It's just kind of something we take for granted, but it's actually a really big deal. And we're going to dive into that. Look at this verse right here, verse five, which is our focus in Psalm 23 for today. Let's read it out loud together. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, who's David talking about? Who is preparing for him? God is. Fascinating. Now, let's read on. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So right here, David is shifting the imagery of God as a shepherd to now God as a host. This imagery of hospitality, it's a metaphor to begin with, a shepherd with a sheep. But now it's a new image. God is a host and he is preparing a table for you. He is hosting you in his home and I will live in the house of the Lord. Yeah. What does that mean for us? And why is this imagery of God as host so important? It introduces us to this incredible idea of hospitality. In particular, there's three images in this scripture that really capture it. There is the imagery of the table, the imagery of the oil in the cup, and they were all critical elements in a host bringing someone into their home. I want to break it down for you really quick so you really see what's happening here. Number one, the imagery of the table. When it says, you prepare a table before me, literally it means you prepare a feast for me. So this was often the role of a woman in a home in the ancient Near East or a servant. Genesis 18, when Abraham is welcoming two angels, he asks Sarah to prepare a meal for them. In Proverbs 9 The writer personifies wisdom as a woman preparing a feast, and the feast represents the bounty of her wisdom for us. It's the role of a woman in the ancient Aries, and here very clearly God takes on this feminine role. And that's important we notice that because often, more often than not, the shepherd was a male. Sometimes you see women like um, uh, Jethro's daughter that Moses ended up marrying. He encounters her as a shepherdess. So women could do it, but mostly it was men. In this role, we see God taking on a feminine role. And with the shepherd, we see the strong leader who can crack the head of a, of a lion attacking the lambs. Um, but here we see that tender image of God who welcomes us in and makes us feel like a part of the family. And God wants us to see both sides of this. And he honors in doing this, he's honoring both roles and all roles that we play in society as having a divine dignity to it, whether it's the male making dinner or the woman, doesn't matter. But what I love here is that God is taking this on 
to communicate something to us about the importance of hospitality. Secondly, there's the oil that you anoint my head, which was done to refresh and honor a guest. So the oil had various qualities that had physical material benefit. Number one, the oil on your skin was, it moisturized the dry skin, it made it smooth. And then it made your skin radiate and shine. Right, So it had a radiance to it. And then thirdly, there was a perfume to it. Think of the woman who anoints Jesus' feet with perfume and is washing his feet with her hair. Do you remember that? There's a fragrance to it. It was a way of both refreshing and honoring a guest. Then there's the imagery of the cup. And hosts would do this in the ancient areas. They would take your cup and they would fill it so full, it would spill over your hand, right? And it would be overflowing to communicate that everything that you need, I am prepared to give to you. The abundance of my home is yours. Mi casa es su casa. Come on, that was good Spanish. Good Spanish. And God, um, there's uses this idea of hospitality to communicate spiritual significance about his action and work in our life. But I want to highlight a couple other significant roles of hospitality and culture. Number one, let's go to the next slide. Hospitality served a couple important roles. Here's a picture of one of our greeters being hospitable, making someone feel welcome. Let's give a round of applause to all our hosts and hostesses, our <laughs> greeters. Thank you. Spreading the love, the cheer. It's also why we take time to greet each other. Now, listen, let me just, a little quick caveat. I know for you, it feels like, you know, maybe you're not comfortable, you're an introvert, you know. No one talk, yeah, I just want to chill out. Ah, it's uncomfortable. But you know, there are people coming here to church who are coming from really painful experiences at church. On a regular basis, I meet people who have been abused, experienced spiritual abuse at churches, church splits that have broken their heart and their faith in the church is broken. And when you just turn and greet them and just smile at them and welcome, I've been surprised at how many people will tell me. Sometimes it's that little moment that makes them feel, okay, I can stay in my seat and stay in the room. Don't underestimate the simple things that you do here to smile and bless other people and what it does to make people feel welcome. Right? But here's some of the benefits of hospitality. In the ancient areas, it was a way of reinforcing trust in the community, reminding the community, I may be annoying to you, but we're family. Come into my home and eat with me. It's hard to hate somebody who's feeding you. Number two, they would host, they would use hospitality as a way of caring for strangers, foreigners, and aliens, people outside their ethnic, religious culture, it was a way of turning enemies, potential enemies, into friends. Number three, it was a way of providing practical need, provision. If you're out in the howling winds of the desert, a host taking you in provided food and water and protection from bandits who might rob you. All kinds of practical benefits, but it's the spiritual significance that lays hidden behind these material benefits that I want to drill into because I want us to understand God's desire to bring you to his table and what it means for us to come to the table with God, to be drawn into close fellowship with God as his son and daughter. In Leviticus 19, we get a, a sense of how important hospitality is to God. The foreigners residing among you must be treated as your 
as your native. Now that has, ooh, that can be a little saucy by today's political um, controversies, right? Now there were boundaries and differences between people brought into their country um, that they hosted, right? Like for example, foreigners couldn't buy property in Israel at this time. But the point is they wanted people from outside to feel like they were part of the family, like they were welcomed and loved. He's like, remember, you were a foreigner. Don't forget that. This is all mine, God is saying. It's not yours. You are a guest on my earth. You are a guest on my land and my creation. Right? Think of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. Everything is already made. And God's like, Adam and Eve, I want to bring you into my home, into my good creation. We're all guests in God's creation, right? So he's like, remember that. I am the Lord, your God. It says something. Hospitality speaks of God's redemptive, generous heart. To get this, to make foreigners to use surf vernacular, locals. Come on now. Now you get a little irritated out there when there's 30 people in the summer surfing a knee-high waves, you know, set? It's because everyone wants to come here. Just the other day, my wife and I were driving through Encinitas and it was crowded. We see all these Arizona license plates. It's like, ah, oh, Arizona. We love you. We are so excited to share our coast with you and our restaurants with you. And I don't mind waiting 30 minutes so that you can get a, a taco at taco stand. <laughs> Outsiders as insiders, people far from God to feel like children of God. Now, there we go. Now we're getting into some really profound stuff. So let's explore this. Uh, one, one author put it this way. Hospitality is treating outsiders like insiders, just like God treated us. Isn't that amazing? That you have a chance to really enact and represent and express one of the most amazing things about God, that he would bring us near to him by a simple act of, hey, welcome to church, I'm so glad you're here, or inviting someone into our home. So how does this passage speak to us about God's hospitality to us? And we're gonna look at three ways through the image of the table, the oil, and the cup. Let's start with the table, all right? Verse five, it says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's two things this imagery of the table represents, and I wanna grab a hold of it. Number one, it represents God's promise of help in time of need, provision, protection, okay? And number two, the table represents God's invitation to friendship. Let's talk about the help in time of need. God takes the role of a servant to take care of us when we are in need. Let me give you an example of what this looks like in a really extreme form. C.S. Lewis, now if you're new to our church, we love C.S. Lewis, don't we? Mark Foreman made us fall in love with C.S. Lewis and famous author of the Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, Surprised by Joy. Anyways, this guy, um, I don't know if you know this, but he served in World War I. Did you know that about him? He served in World War I, and he had a friend he was really close to in the foxholes of World War I, the trenches. And they made a commitment to each other, a covenant really, that whoever, if one of them got home and the other didn't, they would take in each other's family as their own. C.S. Lewis was wounded in battle, was sent to the hospital, and eventually was sent home because he couldn't fight anymore. His friend was lost on the battlefield, never to be seen again. True to his word, despite the fact that he was a young college student, he took in his friend's mother and daughter, or sister, 
as his own family. And he took care of them for as long as they lived and they needed help. He brought them in to a home on his college student budget. I don't know how he did this. But he did the household chores. He took care of them. And get this, to the point where when the, his friend's mother was too old to stay in the home with him and needed to be, have special care, and she was in a separate you know, facility, he would visit her every day until she went to be home with the Lord. It, it communicates something so special of God's heart, hospitality. It captures this commitment that God has to us to take care of us when we're in need of help. Now, God takes the role of a servant, which is kind of radical, isn't it? So God, that's why I wanted to emphasize this feminine quality that in the ancient Near East was, would have gotten people to pay, like, well, you're, putting, you're, you're framing God as this woman doing this thing. Yeah, and that, that's really important, uh, this tender quality of God's presence to us. And God is coming alongside us to serve us in our need and to take care of us. And some of us need to be reminded that God is at work in our life right now. And maybe there's some circumstance in your life where you feel left out of God's help. You feel up against a wall. You feel more aware of the challenge before you than God's comfort, more aware of what you lack than what God has to give. And you need a fresh reminder that God is at work in your life, that he is preparing something for you, that the waiting is not God ignoring you. The waiting is God preparing his, your answer to your prayers or his answer to your prayers. I was talking to a couple outside. They were praying for a home. And I was reminding them, you know what? When we are waiting for God to come through for us, we can look at it like God has forgotten me. And I'm trying to convince God. Or on Psalm 23, you can be reminded, no, God is for you. He is just preparing what he has for you. And there's a difference. Because when we're waiting, we begin to doubt the goodness of God's intentions toward us. We begin to doubt his faithfulness, his ability. Oh yeah, God did it for them, but can he do it for me? Oh yeah, God did it then, but can he do it now? Whether it's our, it's emotional resilience that we need. We need a fresh filling of emotional reserves. You feel, maybe you feel depleted of peace or joy or love or grace or forgiveness for somebody. I meet couples who are married and they are just empty and have no more forgiveness to offer their spouse. And they need a fresh filling of forgiveness. They've used it all up, right? And they need more. Maybe for others of us, it's material resources that you need to know that God will take care, wants to take care of you in those needs, that he wants to prepare an answer to your prayers. And you need to be reminded he hasn't abandoned you and forgotten you. And I want to pause right now. And if that's you, and you need a, you need a fresh touch of God to stoke your faith that God sees you. It doesn't matter what it is. Fresh confidence as you step into a test coming up this week. A job that you've been looking to get from God and it's been a year and you're still without a job and you need to be reminded God is preparing something for you. If you need a fresh reminder of that, would you just raise your hand? You need God to move on your behalf. There's an area of need in your life. Come on, as you put your hand up, you're doing it for yourself and for people around you. You go, you know what? I'm not the only one here who doesn't have it all figured out. I am not the only one here who needs something from God. Put your hand up high. Okay, okay, now, if you're sitting next to someone with their hand up, would you put a hand on, your, on their shoulder just real quick? Let's just come around each other. 
And if you raised your hand, as we put our hand on your shoulder, God, I just pray right now that that hand on the shoulder would be a living sign of your hand on their life. They're not just here to get inspired. They're not just here to hear a message and check it off the list. God, we're here to meet with you. God, we are here to seek you and encounter you. God, we are here to offer ourselves to you. And we come this morning offering our need. Come to you offering the places in our life where we need you to prepare a breakthrough for us an answer for our need. So right now, if you raise your hand, just pray this simple prayer with me. Ready? Jesus, you prepare a table before me. Okay, we're gonna have to say it like we mean it. Let's try that again. All right, you raise your hand or here we go. Jesus, you prepare a table before me. You anoint my head with oil. You make my cup overflow. God, hear my need. Prepare my, the table for me. Lift up your need to the Lord. We're going to lay our hands on you. Bring your need to God, just in your heart. Lord, we just pray for fresh faith and provision and support for these dear ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Where do you need, where do you need to know that God is preparing an answer for your prayer? Most often, amen, I hear you. Most often in the presence of our enemies, we come to doubt what God has said he will do. I don't know what it is about us as human beings, but no matter how many times God has shown up, we can find ourselves all over again wondering, God, will you do it this time? God, can you come through this time? God, can, are you there for me? Have you ever been there? Where it doesn't matter how many times God has moved, you find yourself once again doubting his goodness all over again. Because in the face of those circumstances, we have an enemy that begins to speak to our hearts, our souls, our minds to convince us this is the moment God is going to abandon you. This is the moment where you have a problem that God cannot address. No, you're too far outside. Your need's too great. God can't meet you. And our mind fills with doubts. And sometimes it's our doubts that is our biggest enemy. It's not the circumstances. It's what's going on up here. You know what I'm talking about? Listen to this. Psalm 78, 19 says, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? Do you remember where this comes from? This comes from Exodus when the Israelites have gotten out of slavery. They're marching through the desert. God brought nine plagues on the Egyptians and then he parted the Red Sea and he got, did all this miraculous stuff and boom, three days in, they're thirsty. Oh, now, oh, okay, now God, I see what you've done. You went through all that to get me here to drown me. Yeah, you, I mean, to, to, to kill me with thirst. You, you, you just wanted to get me alone to make me look stupid. Oh yeah, I see how you got me into this marriage because you just want to suck all the joy out of my life. <laughs> Sometimes we get there. Oh, I see, I see. I'm supposed to trust you when you are nowhere in sight and we start playing games with our minds. Oh, this is just some kind of mental gymnastics, a way we make ourselves feel better about our circumstances when really the truth is, oh, there is no God. And there is no help. And maybe you're there. Maybe you're like that, where we come into these places 
of challenge, these desert places in our life, we begin to question God. Listen, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? Was the question they asked of God. John 6, 9, here is a boy. So they got 5,000 families and it's late in the day. And the disciples are like, how are we going to feed all these people? Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And what's the next word? But, can you all say that with me? But, come on, let's say it again. But, yeah, you got any voices of really or but in your head that are saying, yeah, but, God is with, yeah, but, and you've got these voices of contradiction to God's promise and God's goodness, his track record, but nonetheless, here we are now, and this is it. This is the one God can't deal with. But how far will they go among so many? And we get so focused on what we don't have, we lose sight of the one who can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Now, that's what Psalm 23 is addressing. You are the one, God, who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I am surrounded by doubts, when I can't see it in my circumstances, that's when God is, what's the word? Preparing. Now maybe you're there right now, you can't see it. And the word for you this morning is God is preparing his answer to your need right now. And God wants to encourage you. Do you need to hear that this morning? Do you need to hear a fresh word from God? He is preparing something for you, even though you can't see it today. Okay. Well, some of us might need to do a little repenting. This week, I was feeling like I had an empty table coming to this message. Preached at the marriage getaway this last week. So that means I'm just working two weeks straight, no days off. Had a blast at the marriage getaway. But I came to Thursday to write this sermon exhausted. Empty. No ideas. Crazy writer's block. God, I got nothing, God. And I had to sit with my wife and she was praying with me. And she said, do you believe that God, even now, no matter how you feel, can bring that message? And I just had to repent of everything. I was like, yeah, but look at how tired I am. Yeah, but look at how late in the week it is. And I had all these buts. And if you've got some of those in your head, then I want to challenge you today to confess them to a friend, a spouse, and repent. Of your, of your reallys in your butts. He prepares a table in our time of need. Number two, he prepares a table that represents an invitation of friendship. Luke 15, look at this scripture. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, let's read it together, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I love this scene right here, this whole scene, because Jesus is taking this imagery of the table and he's opening this table up to people who are far from God. And this scandalized Jesus' ministry because to open the table to them who had not yet repented, who had not cleaned up their act, was a way of saying, I accept you. And so at the table are the enemies to the religious and the devoted. The Pharisees are the religious and the devoted, and they're looking at Jesus bringing their enemies to the table because these people represent the negative influences in their culture on their faith. You got any of those in your life? Can you relate to enemies of culture that threaten your faith and threaten the faith of our children and our 
the way that we understand Jesus, can you relate to that idea? And that's what the Pharisees are looking at. Jesus is just welcoming them to his table. And so the religious leaders are like, how can you do that when they haven't even gotten their life and their act together? Now listen to this. Um, Jesus sought to inspire faith through friendship, acceptance, and closeness. Now, the way I remember this is, and this is important for us as a church, and maybe you haven't picked up on this, but I want to make this really clear. When we think about how we engage culture and the threatening influences of culture, embodied in human beings, our neighbors, or political adversaries, it's not that we don't agree that we have different views or acknowledge that, but we as a church lead with compassion so that people want to hear our truth. It doesn't mean you forsake the truth, but it means we lead out with compassion. And that's what we see in Christ. Look at this statement right here. Here's a little way of remembering that. Because as Jesus invited people, let's go to the next slide, invited people to his table, it began to change them. It began to change their perspective in their heart. Here's the phrase. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Nobody cares how much you know. Let's just hard stop right there. Nobody cares how much you know. Let's just take that to heart, first of all. Can we use a little bit of that more in life sometimes? You know what I mean? We're just like, man, people care. People need to hear what I have to say. Like, maybe not. Maybe you just need to chill out. And uh, now we're always talking about sharing God's truth, and that is true. But first, look at this other part of the statement. Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. It's not an either or. It's a both and, but it's how we enter into the relationship, into the conversation that matters. Now, this is why this is so important. God is in the business of making enemies his friends. And that's what we're doing in this earth. We are here to make enemies friends. Think about that. We're here representing God's hospitality to a world that doesn't know God. And by that hospitality, there's intellectual hospitality, the willingness and the readiness to listen to other people's opposing views, to understand them. What doesn't the Bible say be quick to listen and, and slow to speak? Come on. This is the way that God makes friends. This is the way God draws people to him. It's not either or, it's both and. And it's not just leading out as a sequence of conversation. It's the way we lead with our hearts into our culture. We lead with compassion to our culture. James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I wanted to speak this right now to this room. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want you to hear this very clear. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with God. And you are as close to God as you want to be. Jesus has removed every barrier between you and God so that if you take one step towards God, God is going to take 10 toward you. And just you being here this morning is an act of faith. The fact that you are here is not as a non-believer to learn about God, to be open and be curious is a step of faith. And I think we should just give a round of applause to those people. Let's just give a round of applause to these guys because they're here. And if you were here because you got tricked or you got bribed by a spouse or a friend or a roommate to come to church, come on now. They owe you some coffee after. And secondly, you were here because God has created you to be in friendship with him and is drawing you near. 
Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Uh, thirdly, there's the oil. So first there's the table. Then there's the, the, um, the oil. It says this, you anoint my head with oil. You honor me by anointing my head with oil, which is, which is the new living. Now, I like this one. This was really special. You know, this idea of oil, it represents the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you guys remember this series we did in the Holy Spirit, but that's what we're looking at right now. And I'll show you why we, we look at it that way. Um, the Holy Spirit is the energizing presence of God that brings us into the closest possible relationship we, we can have with God. Look at this verse. I imagine when David wrote this, you anoint my head with oil, he's thinking about this moment right here. So Samuel the prophet, I'll tell you the story, is going to find the next king of Israel. He goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse has seven sons and he goes through all six sons. They're, you know, they are the tallest, strongest, best looking, you know, varsity, their freshman year sons. And, you know, Samuel gets through all of them. He's like, okay, it's none of these guys. God's like, no, 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 no. And so Samuel's like, there must be another. Cricket, head scratch. You could just see Jesse. Hmm. Oh, we do have David, but he's out with the sheep. The youngest, you can't mean him. And Samuel's like, bring him. They bring David in from the field. And look at what happens. First Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Isn't that interesting about God honoring David in front of these other people, which is so God. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. I love that phrase, from that day on. And it says a couple things about the Holy Spirit that God wants to anoint you with. Number one, receiving the Holy Spirit is not a one-time experience. It's not just a one and done kind of a thing. It's more like a wedding day, right? You have that wedding, but it's not just a one-time big party. It is for life, right? Like this is like everyday situation, right? Are you with me? It's like it changes everything. And that's what it's like to receive the Spirit. When you receive the Spirit, it's a new reality of the Holy Spirit working in our life. And I think sometimes we lose touch with the promise that with everything that we have to do in life, God is ready to come alongside us with his energizing supernatural power to help us. Sometimes what we need is not just another book, another conference, another seminar, or just to try harder. Sometimes what we need is, is a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to highlight a couple ways in which the Holy Spirit fills us and will impact your life. You ready? Listen to this. When we're in the dark valley and we're face to face with our enemies, especially the enemies up here, we begin to lose sight of who we are, don't we? When you're out of a job, not feeling like the most awesome person in the world, are you? When you're going through a health crisis, that vulnerability, that fragility, you start to lose sight of is, gosh, God, do you really love me? God, are you really with me? So I want to highlight a couple key things. When we're in the dark valley, the Holy Spirit does these three things. Number one, the Holy Spirit energizes, I'm using that word on purpose, energizes us with confidence in who we are. Now, I want to kind of give you a, a, a picture because when I think of an overflowing cup of like confidence, can we go to the, my, my imagery of my espresso shot? This is what I'm talking about right here. That's energizing. 
I mean, you just look at that, you're going to feel caffeinated, right? That was me this morning coming in. And I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit is an energizing spiritual presence. And the Spirit of God instills in us a confidence that we don't have on our own. Not a confidence that comes from fluffing yourself up, but it comes from knowing who you are before God, that you are his loved son and daughter. And that love strengthens the soul. Number two, the Holy Spirit gives us clarity about God's intentions towards us. Reminds us what God's intention is when we're in the dark valley, because when we're in the dark valley, we doubt what God's doing. We get there and we start to go, you know what, God has really just forgotten about me. Maybe God really needs, needs to humiliate me to teach me a lesson. And we think God's in the business of just humiliating and shaming us because of something in our life. And we, need to, we just need to get our life straight. And God is not, that's not God. God is in the business of removing shame and freeing people from humiliation and restoring dignity and honor. And that's what oil is. It is an honoring maybe some of us need a fresh sense of that, that God wants to bestow honor on our life, but it's going through the valley that positions us to receive that honor. Think of David, 12 years in the wilderness, hiding for his life before he could become king. Because it's in the desert you learn to trust God and depend on the honor that he alone can give you versus the honor that you can give yourself or the honor that comes from our peers or our grades, or our performance. That's powerful. And thirdly, conviction about God's truth and promises, as opposed to what? However we feel. Well, this last week, I was just hit a wall, and I was not feeling it. And my wife was confronting that. And when we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit doesn't fill us with an emotional hype. The Holy Spirit energizes conviction that it doesn't matter how we feel, God's promise and presence hasn't changed for us, for our life. And he is working for our good in our life. And he is moving on our behalf, preparing the answer to our prayer. Now, look at this quote. In my research, I've come across this great quote about um, anointing. Evil assaults us in the place of our anointing. It is always leveraging the pride and pain of others to curse our confidence that we are beloved by God. Yeah, the enemy attacks us in the place where we've been anointed by God so that we doubt what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be. That's true about our marriages. We begin to doubt our marriages because of the struggle we experience. We begin to doubt the anointing of God on our identity because of the struggle that we face. And that takes us to the cup. Let's go back to the cortado. Yeah, this is my cup right now. I think of a cup overflowing. I love this image. We'll get two shots of it. That word for my cup overflows is the Hebrew word rava. And it means to bathe, to saturate, to soak, and to satisfy. So the host would overflow the cup so it was spilling to communicate what's mine is yours, what's yours is mine, and, or not what's yours is mine, but what's mine is yours. Mi casa es, es su casa. And it, it's an act of lavish favor and goodness. 
And it's not just a few drops, not just half a glass. It's more than you need. Now, okay, think of Jesus. Think of Jesus at um, the, the, the wedding at Cana. Do you remember that? Where he's got six stone water uh, holders and he tells them, because they're out of wine, his mother comes to him, where are we going to get wine? And he goes like, fill these six stone sort of water holders with water and he turns them into wine. Each one holds 30 gallons. So if you have six and they hold 30 gallons of water, how much wine do you have? You have 180 gallons and Jesus turns 180 gallons of water to wine and he provides the best at the last, more than enough. And that is so much of the heart of God for us, the lavish grace of God for us. Listen to this, Ephesians 1, 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Let's read this together, actually. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Yeah, right there. I love that word, lavish. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, uh, he lifted up a cup. I want to invite the band to come on out. And as the band comes out, we're going to step into communion. Now you can get your communion cup. I want to invite the ushers to bring out uh, the communion cups. But this imagery of cup is really profound because in the Old Testament, there's a cup of wrath in Isaiah 51. And there's a cup of salvation in Psalm 116. Interesting. Psalm 50, or Isaiah 51, you who have drunk the cup of God's wrath. It's a prophetic word about what Jesus is going to do. And then Psalm 116, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Both of these imageries of salvation and wrath come together in what Jesus did. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for our sin that we might enter into his forgiveness. Jesus reconciles the need to cleanse the world of evil, God's wrath, by absorbing it into himself so that we who are deserving of that wrath could be loved, forgiven, and set free. On the night that Jesus lifted the cup, he brought the meaning of the salvation and wrath together. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And Jesus poured out his blood that we might be forgiven of the sins that we have committed and the sins that have been committed against us, the failures of our life that we feel keep us and hold us back from being the person that we long to be as a husband, as a father, as a mother, a wife, as a son, a daughter, as a human being. But it also is cleansing from the sins that have been committed against us. I've sat with college students who had been assaulted on campus when in my 20 years of college ministry, who had been assaulted and because of that assault had doubted in God's love for them. Because of the sin committed against them, they could no longer see themselves as whole. I was sitting with one of those students one time and we were at a camp and we were just praying. And she just had this image as we were praying of Jesus crucified for her. And his brokenness, he said, my brokenness has made you whole. And right in that moment, she felt this freedom from the sins that had been committed against her as a student. She felt cleansed. The blood of Jesus cleanses us and frees us 
so that the cup of our life can overflow, so that we can live in the abundance of God's goodness. Let's just peel back the top layer. Here's the bread. This bread, it represents the body of Christ broken for you. Let's eat this in remembrance of him. Now, if you're not a believer, I actually want to invite you to join us. And if you are not a believer and you want to join us and you want to return home to God as your friend, as your father, as your savior, as your Lord, and receive the forgiveness of your sin, the sin committed against you, and allow God to prepare a table for you and allow God to fill your cup to overflowing and anoint you with his spirit, I want to invite you to participate with us. Eat that bread as an act of faith. You are joining God at his table and entering into his invitation as his friend. Let's peel back that foil layer. Let's drink this in remembrance of the blood that Jesus shed for our sins.